<laughs> I can't see a time. Right, this is a, a flaw. There's no timer. Oh, you must be able to. Um, but is there nothing? Is there nothing you can change your view or anything like Let's that? Have a look. No, there's still no timer. The timer's really handy. Yeah, Seven, you must be able to see it. Why can you see it and I can't? What have you got there that I'm, <laughs> I've not got? Ah, it's at the top. I can see it now. It's at the fucking top, isn't it? Oh, my days. Yeah, I'm used it's to it sitting in the corner of the screen. It's at the top. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I didn't even look up there. I've been scrolling around <laughs> looking at all these icons. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Actually, that's that's probably an upgrade. That's better. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. That's good. That. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Hello and welcome to Football Unfocused, the much-awaited, long-awaited, and uh, uh, highly anticipated return of this award-winning, groundbreaking, world-leading football-related podcast. And we've not actually won any awards, and no one's really asked about its return. But, uh, you know, those are the sorts of things you say, aren't they? And if you say it enough times, you believe it. Uh, if you've not heard it before, this is the podcast in which me and Matt, I'm Mark, that's Matt, Hello, hello, Mark. How are you? I'm oh, very well, thank you, Matt. We talk about football. <laughs> That's what we do, isn't it, Matt? We're so the thing is, we're so focused on getting into real granular details about the beautiful game, aren't we, Matt? It's tactics and all these things, <laughs> isn't it? It's like looking at systems, formations, business plans, everything. That's, we're really all we're all about the detail, aren't we, Matt? Well, I know I am. Yeah, you but, definitely are. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I was thinking about the. Um, have you heard of that book, The Wish? Is it called The Wish? Uh, or something. I don't think I have you, that, no. It's a whole book about if you read it. That it it was parried in parried in IT crowd where if you really think of something parodied, hard enough, it, parodied. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Parried. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that <laughs> is a football term. Batted away. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't mean to use a football term, but no. yeah, when you wish something really hard and uh, and uh, it comes true. And, and what, what Isn't was that the main an affirmation? Guy? <laughs> oh, I tell you, yeah, possibly. That's when you what, positive uh, affirmation. You're supposed to start each day going, you know, I will get an erection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a beautiful day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will, get, I will an get an erection. I will. Yeah, yeah. The sun will <laughs> shine. <laughs> one of one of the yeah. two things. I will have a toasty for lunch. I will have a toasty for lunch. Yeah, <laughs> stuff like that. Achievable. Yeah, yeah. Achievable and then achievable thing, and then they come true. Yeah, um, but in the program IT crowd, who's the main guy in that? Well, um, it depends. Chris O'Dowd, ma- Richard O'Hardy. No, higher up. Oh, the the boss of Denham. It was well, yeah. it was either Chris Denim. Morris or Matt Berry, depending on what series. Matt Berry, which yeah. Was. And he was, and he wanted a. His wish was like a bionic arm. Right. And uh, he ended up <laughs> being in a helicopter crash, and they gave him one. He was like, "See, it came it true." Came true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I've known you now, Matthew, for 29 years, and every day I've <laughs> I've sort of said to myself, I will lose touch with Matthew. I will lose touch with Matthew. But, uh, <laughs> no. but you play the long still game we're here. <laughs> yeah, I am playing the fucking long game. Just didn't know it would be this fucking long. Uh, Matthew, uh, for people listening for the first time, before we start with the real high-quality football content, and as I've said before, that is really a raison d'etre. Um, I like to uh, ask Matthew some questions about 
him as a character because he's maybe a little more guarded than me and you're not as open. So I really have to dig. I have to dig to get to know the man behind this uh, <laughs> this this exterior, this this front that he puts up, this wall, uh, a wall of defiance, um, and a wall of secrecy. A bit like the Berlin Wall. He is very much uh, uh, East, East Germany. Germany and I am the Stasi. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, question one. Matthew, you're a man of, of many things, but one of the things you're most known for is your generosity and carefree spending. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> we all know that. I don't, I don't like the way this is going on. <laughs> do you not? No. As a treat on a Friday, do you, uh, or even at the weekend, uh, do you ever take Joe up the Audi and tell her to pick whatever she likes from the reduced sticker section up to a maximum value of £5? <laughs> God, you, you'd get a lot in five for five pounds in the reduced section of Audi. Well, um, that, that's why so I'm saying. No, you, I mean, you are a generous man. You don't do that. <laughs> what is it? Six well, pounds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, I used to, we used to go to the the sort of reduced to clear area, and recently I went and I got some strawberries. Mm. And getting reduced to clear strawberries is. Well, it's a fool's errand because the trouble oh, is they're, they're going to be soft within disgusting. two days max. Oh, they're absolutely grim. I had a handful, I think, at the end of it. And then Joe has to, because my eyes aren't so good, she has to kind of basically end up having to sift all that, the shitty ones. Mm. And so, and then she just gives me the good ones that I can then cut up. So it's it's a real lose-lose um, when we go down that route. So, um, right, so is the answer to my me, question? She's just... She just says, "Pay full price." Yeah, <laughs> you type past it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, but so the answer is, you do go to the sticker section uh, as a treat. But the treat is very much for you. Joe doesn't get the benefit of any of this. All the only benefit poor old Joe gets <laughs> is having to sift through your manky old strawberries. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, your cheap and get manky strawberries. Yeah. <laughs> I went up to the Turkish supermarket last week, which is one of my favourite pastimes in this um, this area of East London. It's a fantastic place, and uh, they had. A remarkable deal on where it was two five hundred gram punnets of beautiful looking strawberries. For, get, what would you expect that to be, Matt? Two five hundred gram punnets. Uh, so on, one kilo, of those punnets, maybe about three quid. You, yeah, as a special offer, you'd think. Yeah, that that was. Yeah, that's pretty, as a special offer. Yeah, I'll be at this time quid. of year when they're abundant and they don't have to come very far. Yeah, no, yeah, one pound twenty five. <laughs> trouble is similar to you I then found myself with way too many strawberries and uh, I didn't factor in I was going to be away for a couple of nights as well <laughs> so this morning in particular I really have had oh, to throw a off. lot of strawberries oh out. no but I don't put them in the bin uh, I don't waste anything there is a green uh, around the back of my gaff and I just you know you just throw them to the foxes I throw them you? I don't think foxes are big on strawberries Matt but I throw them to, to the ground and let them let them either seed or rot or whatever they do uh, as nature intended maybe the birds can come and peck at them who knows yeah. it's much better than ending that's, up in a, in a an bin a- bag isn't it yeah, that's, I suppose. Where is it? An alley down the back of your... No, behind the... my back garden wall is just a green. It's like a, pub, a public space. Oh, like right. A park, small park. <laughs> but the, the, uh, the perimeters of it are quite... It. They, let, they let the grass go quite long, although nothing's long in this barren landscape, this drought-ridden barren landscape that we now live in. Um, yeah. But yeah, so... I, I, occasionally, and when I say occasionally, I really do mean like literally about twice a year... I actually walk round there and just see if anything's growing. Oh, yeah. It never is. Because <laughs> anything that wasn't you... about to grow, the, 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 the 
the geezer the with the massive tractor mows the lawn every six, seven weeks, or, or again at the moment, not having to bother because everything's a dust bowl. Um, uh, he, that he would destroy it anyway, wouldn't he? Oh, right. His big mower. Well, maybe you could ask him if he saw any of your um, your leftovers. Yeah, do you, you see any strawberries in your uh... <laughs> on your uh, way round? Yeah, in your no? paddles. Oh. Uh, question two, Matthew. What was when was the last time you used talc? Uh, I my mum may have put it on me <laughs> a couple of weeks last ago. Week, yeah. <laughs> That's so obvious. Yeah, I yeah. know, that's it. But you had, but yeah, you had to well, say it, didn't you? you to. Well, no, but I was... The, the start of that sentence probably was true. Mm. In that she, she was probably the last person to put it on me. So the last time you used tap <laughs> was when you had it uh, dispersed by your mother at an unspecified age. Yeah. That was that whole... I, was, I think I was listening to uh, Top Flight... I know I always <coughs> reference Top Flight Time Machine. You do. But they had a whole discussion about... <laughs> they had a whole discussion about tap. Because it was bad for women. Have we talked about this? Actually, it's, no. It's uh, it's been. Uh, there are thousands of lawsuits uh, against tout companies, primarily Johnson and Johnson, because it has been proven to have a clear link with um, causing ovarian cancer. Yeah, and apparently they knew about it, and loads of women um, oh. got ovarian cancer using talc, talking away. Well, no, because I think no, the men were putting it. The men were putting talc on themselves. And then yeah, but it's the women who've been getting cancer. I don't think it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Causing but cancer so the me. men were putting the talc around the around their sort of genitalia, and then using their genitalia on, on the women. The women. <laughs> Is that the only way that... that a woman could get ovarian cancer through talc? Do no, probably no, I'm sure shouldn't go there. Ones. Really talking about no, no the mechanisms by which talc can get inside a woman. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. Yeah, should, we'll just leave it. To the... Leave it at that. <laughs> But I would suggest uh, the the involvement when of a male is not uh, oh, probably is sim- what... similar to you. Similar I think, to you. Funny I think stuff, that's what I thought it was. Mm. I think that's what I thought they were talking about on the podcast. But was it just women using it on themselves? Did? I, I, again, they didn't go into the methodology. Oh, okay. uh, but but <laughs> right. you are the man who dares to go there, Matthew. And for that, so... that's, what, that's why your participation in this podcast is so special <laughs> and invaluable and irreplaceable. Final question, Matthew. Uh, do you drink in this uh, e- extreme heat? And let's face it, it is, in this country, extreme heat. Um, mm. Do you drink more or less fizzy drinks? Mm. I think there's something, yeah, probably more appealing, like a, a cold fizzy drink mm. uh, in hot weather. I don't know what it's it is weird. about the bubbles. That, I, I yeah. totally agree with you, Matthew. Yeah, I can go just... months. I go all year without having a fizzy drink, other than beer. Uh, <laughs> and uh, oh, well, I'll have a. But as soon as a it, strong fizzy drink, I reach a level of dehydration. Like yesterday, I came home from the swimming pool. Swimming is actually make, makes me more thirsty than running in the heat, which is bizarre. But anyway, I came back and I get to this level of thirst where only a fizzy drink will do, and it's always yeah, a, yeah. a a, a um, sugar free Seven Up. Uh, we, and then I'll top it up with a bit of orange juice, which I believe is known as a St. Clement. Um, but I'll tell you what I do love, Matt, in this weather, a shandy. I must admit, I, I, I get it. Get a six, oh, you're six, getting into shandies, six, 60 milliliter you bottle used... of uh, beer, oh, a premium, premium lager, and then just top it up with a bit of lemonade on a summer's day, a bit of ice in there as well. And then that, mm. that just gives you a lovely, refreshing start. 
And then you just crack on with the beers. The, you, know. <laughs> you used to give me, you used to give me so much shit for drinking. Yeah, shandy. that's because you were drinking Foster's shandy. So you were taking a <laughs> shit weak beer and then watering it down further. Diluting it. <laughs> yeah, a shandy is acceptable if a you're starting, you're just using it for refreshment purposes, you know, because it's an, on a, on a very hot day, and then going on to drink uh, the, the the hard stuff. <laughs> which is the basis of that shandy. Uh, if you're taking a 4% or less uh, lager and then putting lemonade in it, basically you're a twat. And we all know you are a twat. You're making me angry. I'm pointing. He's pointing. Yeah. yeah. Before so, we crack we on, by about- the way, talking about football, man, I just want to uh, say we have a, a new um, a cabal of uh, loyal listeners um, I feel really bad because we haven't recorded for a while, and like those five listeners or however many, I feel yeah. You, know, you don't even know what I'm talking about. Let- I'm talking about new listeners here, Matt, because our Shit. portfolio is there. Uh, just because we haven't, re- we you know, it's been the summer, it's been quiet. We've not been releasing that many, but new people find us all the time because we've what we've done about 70 or, 70 or so episodes now I mean I don't fucking know um, but, but they're all there for people to listen to whenever they like and some uh, distinguished members of the uh, well the only distinguished members of the Cavalero family um, have been in touch to say how much they've enjoyed uh, get this I mean we should really put this on the promotional poster for our next live tour uh, that it was the perfect accompaniment for a long drive to the Lake District from the south of England so oh, Lizzie Cavalero uh, our new number one uh, fan and backer. Uh, hopefully, that will be financial as well as sort of moral. Uh, <laughs> listening, you know, if anyone wants to invest in this podcast, because uh, we're hoping to <laughs> float ourselves on the stock market, and um, then yeah. Uh, yeah, feel free. But 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 Lizzie, uh, thank you for supporting us and 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 the kids as well. I'm sure I won't name them for their security. Um, um, <laughs> but I, I think there's another member of that family, but I don't think he listens, uh, and I don't know his name. Um, so, <laughs> do you know Matt? I've never met him. I've heard but- about him. Never met him. Yeah. Never met the guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. But it's Lizzie who holds everything together there. She's the brains behind the operation, as is evidenced by her choice in uh, podcasts. Uh, Matthew, do you want to talk? Is there anything about football that you've noticed before I start talking about Barcelona? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll try and get these points in. Uh, the women's Euros. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Did you actually watch it? That's so amazing. You, you try yeah, to yeah, make yourself seem, yeah, go, oh, women's Euros, <laughs> because I'm a liberal-minded, open guy, and I'm, I want to be supporting women's sport. But did you actually watch yeah, it? Yeah, I did, I so did. did I. It was It was brilliant. It, it was, was brilliant. amazing. I thought, what? I mean, not just because England won it, but I am glad that it was won during, like, playing time. I don't know what that is called. Rather than penalties. Not penalty. Yeah, that would have been... Oh, just even if you win on penalties, there's a slightly hollow, hollow no, victory. No, he- soon get over no is it? <laughs> it's <an absolute laughs> but, <joy. laughs> but yeah, that no, is fantastic. So yeah, yeah, um, I, th- I agree. I think I think it could be a, a massive game changer. Yeah, and I think changer. I just I just wonder. You know, there, there's potentially a real appeal for women's football about. You know, it's. it's there's a possibly a perception that it's more family friendly. Yep. Maybe it's, um, but you know, it's just they don't even segregate home and away supporters in the ground. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you know, it's a bit cheaper to go to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, fantastic. How you think about, yeah, th- you know, this country alone, we've got best part of 70 million people in the, uh, in the UK. It's a football mad country. Um, there are people who 
even if they support, you know, big, um, well-backed men's clubs, um, don't necessarily, can't necessarily get there every week, expense, geographic challenges, whatever. But the chances are they're going to have a WSL team relatively close or a women's football team a little bit further down the, the ladder. And it's, especially if you've got kids, you can go there relatively cheaply. It's it's kind of safer and a much nicer environment. You're less likely to come across the unpleasantness that you'd probably want to keep your kids away from. And, you know, it's really good quality football. This is the thing. Like, it's as a man, it's difficult sometimes to kind of say this stuff without sounding like insincere and patronising, but it really isn't meant to be. Like, those, some of those games in the US were absolutely brilliant. And it's, that's not because it was a woman's game. It's because it was a game of football. And it was, they were excellent games of football. The final was a great game. And um, two or three of those England players as well. I really, really like um, uh, uh, Georgia Stanway uh, and Lucy Bronze. I just find them both uh, kind of on the ball, very, very pleasing players to watch. Like um, Lucy Bronze at right back. Very similar kind of style and insuredness on the ball as um, Kyle Walker. You can see why she's won like um, the, the the women's Ballon d'Or and stuff before. Um, class, class player. So what, the, the the way that it will then become a big. I don't think she actually won it. No, I or think did, she, did. she was in the team. Oh, was she? I think not. Because I not thought about that. this year. I'm talking a couple of years ago. No, I know, I know. I thought that, but then sorry, go on anyway. If she didn't win it, she was in the top two or three anyway. She's she's a yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, high yeah. achieving uh, England international, and you know, obviously now going to play for Barcelona. Um, the, yeah. So what you're the point you're making about the going and sort of seeing women's football live? That's that's going to be what it hinges on, essentially, whether they can take this uh, enthusiasm and hysteria and joy around the success of the England women's team and transfer that into... Firstly, there needs to be availability in schools for all girls to play football. It shouldn't just be a... If you've got a football enthusiast uh, member of PE staff, all girls at school should have the right to play football, just as most boys do. Although you and I both know, uh, we both went to a school where some egotistical prick head of the PE <laughs> department thought that, oh, there's too much football around. So the first three years of secondary school, uh, you don't you don't need a football team. Instead, they thought we wanted to play rugby and basketball. Uh, so you just alienate <laughs> everyone. And then by the time you get to year 10, what was it? We were straight away in the uh, in our district uh, cup semi-final. You know what I mean? Like, so we, we were... Tearing it up. We could have been absolutely caning uh, the London Borough of Havering uh, if we'd had a full five years. But, um, but, but yeah, I, you know, there's absolutely no reason why all girls shouldn't be having the opportunity to play football from a young age. And th- to do so in an environment where they can see um, women who are going to, on to become household names and um, having all the, you know, the glory and the fame associated with playing football at the very, very highest level and achieving their dreams is absolutely fantastic. It's also really important, by the way, that it's not, it's not just a girl thing, that young boys grow up like that as well. That young boys are growing up now and seeing girls playing as much high-level professional football as men. So they're not seeing it as a, as a, you know, a man's sport that women are dabbling in. Because then, it, you know, that will completely change the mindset for generations to come. And I do think that that will happen. You know, it's just like anything, really. A lot, a lot of the stuff these days, especially the kind of, you know, the pathetic culture war stuff that, you know, boring men over the age of 40 are, get, you know, and 50 and, you know, just the older you get, the worse it gets, where they just get sort of fixated with these obsessions about, you know, various groups that they think are 
whatever they you know have issues with if you actually just you know shut the fuck up and listen to the younger generation most people age 20 and below just kind of accept everyone and have a completely different life view to a lot of these kind of what Alistair Campbell would call golf club bores, um, most of whom are going to be choosing our next prime minister in the next couple of weeks as well. And that's, that's democracy for you. That's representation. 150,000 white, old, middle-class golf club members who are almost entirely racist and living in the suburbs choosing our next prime minister. Brilliant. Democracy. And whichever one they pick, I'm sure they're going to be a, a completely stable and brilliant and a suitable candidate to lead us uh, through a, a, a financial crisis. Excellent. Um, yeah, so that's it. Yeah, it was, you know, it was absolutely brilliant. And uh, yeah, well, well done for bringing that up, Matt, because a couple of weeks ago and I would have started banging on talking about Barcelona and, uh, and um, neglected to, um, to acknowledge that. Have you, have you been following Barcelona at all, Matt? I mean, I know you're big on continental football. Um, um, there's something about the fact that they're not sure whether they're very high paid, paid players can play. Is it something like that? Well, you- I can't answer. Yeah, well, basically, I mean, they are. I've always been a big supporter of Barcelona, right? They're a club that they're they're definitely of the kind of European elite clubs. They are possibly in my top one. Um, I've, <laughs> I've just always respected them. I like the, a lot of it is the fact that I, I despise Real Madrid. I think that they're a club that have a history of being backed by sort of you know Franco Spanish regime and. Um, um, of fascism and um, they always get kind of bailed out by the government whenever they're in trouble and dodgy deals to buy their training ground and all that sort of stuff whereas Barcelona have kind of always been this slightly more um, uh, social model of a fan-owned club um, supportive of Catalan independence kind of in, in defiance of the, of the Spanish state as opposed to part of the establishment like Real Madrid um, but Really, the, the goings-on in the last 12 months are bizarre. And this summer, they, 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 aside from the fact, by the way, on a completely superficial level, they have released what I think is possibly the worst Barcelona kit I've ever seen. It's like going completely against their colour scheme. It looks fucking awful. It's just another example of sportswear companies that just don't understand football. They don't understand football traditions. But anyway... Um, uh, but yeah, so what they've been getting up to in the last year is is absolutely insane, really. This time last year, they uh, their president Laporte announced that they had a one point three five billion pound debt. One, po- that's not a national debt. That's a that's a, a company with a one point three five billion pound debt, and he described them as quote clinically dead. Right within twelve months, in the same summer, they've signed. Uh, Frank Kessie, Rafinha, Robert Lewandowski, Jules Kunde, and Andreas Christensen. And in January, they'd signed, they spent 46 million on Ferran Torres from Man City and they got a Bamiyang. So some of these players have gotten free transfers, but they'll obviously be on astronomical wages. Bear in mind, they got into this trouble in the first place because they were spending 105% of their revenue on players' salary. So they're an, they're, they're, they're an, as an economic model, they are failing they're like a failed state and they seem to be dealing with it um but because they got they got um essentially a bailout from goldman sachs so goldman sachs technically have control over the over the club even though they are still still have the membership model and kind of are kind of lurking in the background and and could take control kind of when whenever they they want to because the debt is so massive but yet they see barcelona seems to be going through the policy of just sort of spending 
their way out of a problem that was caused by overspending in in the first place. And the reason it's, I mean, Julian Nagelsmann, the, the, the Bayern Munich coach, said that I think something along the lines of Barcelona are the only club in world football that don't have any money but yet can sign any player they want. Because it's, it's just crazy, like the level of players that they're getting. But the thing that baffles me is I can understand, you know, these some of these elite football clubs that need for their brand and for their members and for their support and for their continued success, they need to be kind of projecting that that success and um, being at the, at the top of the tree at all times, at all costs. But the, the, the concept behind it just seems so short-term and what they've had to do in order to release this capital to spend this, sum, this summer is, is outrageous. So what they've done is leveraged the... What they have calculated is the future value of their um, TV broadcasting rights and uh, essentially release that money. So it's, it's like saying your house over the next 20 years is going to be it's going to go up in value by X amount. So therefore you can have all of that money now. So they've taken 25 percent of that overall sort of projected amount now. But what that means is over the next 25 consecutive years, they'll have a 25% shortfall in the, the, the figure that they get as part of their broadcasting deal. Real Madrid will be getting 100% throughout that time. So they're going to be 25% down on Real Madrid for 25 consecutive years. That, that's crazy. That is absolutely crazy. A quarter of a century of a 25% broadcasting deficit against their biggest rival in order to, for the short-term fix of buying some good players. But this summer, to, to what end? Because the thing is, the worst that, that would happen to the current Barcelona squad is maybe next season they finish, you know, third, fourth, something like that, right? They're not going to get relegated. They're not, gonna, they're not facing financial ruin. But they seem so kind of affronted at the prospect of that they'd have to go through the indignity of that, that they're just, they seem to be just throwing everything at getting players in now and winning the league next season. And it seems to be that they're doing that with no regard to the long-term damage that that could do to them as an organisation and, and, um, and as a brand. The other thing they've done is they've sold, I think, 45 or 49% of what, what is um, called the Barcelona Studio, which I initially thought was going to be their TV company, but upon further inspection, it's some shit that I don't understand, all these NFTs and whatever, all that bollocks. I don't even probably understand what it means. That, it's yeah. like digital content. And uh, so they've sold 49% of that, um, I don't know, whatever that is, that entity. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, to, again, just to free up, free up money now we, again with no regard to kind of what that's going to mean further forward whether that if that becomes like a massive revenue generator for the club moving forward or even the you know in, in as the way the world is developing that could end up being their, their biggest revenue generator um and that 50 percent of that pretty much is, is now gone and they they there if you ask them they seem to be saying that get players in now create that kind of excitement, get that buzz back around the club and then uh, more sponsors come in and more Barcelona fans put their money in their pocket, they go to the game, they they start buying more stuff again and it gives everything a kind of bit of a boost and then the club kind of restarts itself as a result of that. That is one hell of a risky uh, strategy and it just seems crazy and I was listening to a thing about it yesterday where they were saying that one, the port, the, the... 
the um, president. This is his second term. He he had a, the initial incredibly successful term from about two thousand and three um, up until the uh, you know early twenty tens or you know late two um, thousands, and that coincided with the Guardiola era of sort of unprecedented success and. You know, they won, uh, I think, three Champions Leagues and uh, and uh, pretty much um, La Liga every single year. And they did it probably playing the best football I've ever seen any club team play. And it was a team built around a, a mixture of um, um, youth products from La Marcia, their, their famed academy, but also um, Messi, you know, when you got Messi in his absolute prime and other great players like, um, you know, Dani Alves and... Um, um, uh, obviously Iniesta so and that, you know even sort of you know other players who came and got came and went during that time like um, you know David Villa and um, you know um, um, Henri and stuff so the idea that you but the football landscape has changed an awful lot in the sort of 20 years between then and now and when, when Laporte first took over in the early 2000s and the idea that you can come back and essentially go with exactly the same strategy then because they were in financial trouble then I think he brought Ronaldinho and essentially speculated to accumulate, but there wasn't as much kind of competition and money kind of across the board as there is now. And also, there were things in their favour then that aren't now. Like, Barcelona had always had a principle that they never had a shirt sponsor because nothing's bigger than the badge of Barcelona. And they had that kind of, you know, that almost arrogant, like, we're better than that. We don't have to sell ourselves to <laughs> commercialism. Not only have they now had a shirt sponsor for many, many years, which I, you know, I always think it's sad to see, uh, but they've also uh, sold the naming rights to the Camp Nou, stadium. So that's crazy. So I don't know what that is. I mean, I haven't even looked into who's, bought that but I'm assuming it's going to be like the Dunkin' Donuts Camp Nou or something next season I mean, it's so, so sad and it just seems undignified for a great you know social model club um, like Barcelona but but there's also quite a sinister part to it in that you'd think that they need to they need to um, free up cash at the same time as um, getting these players in but the players who they've got who are they, they, they appear on the surface at least to be prepared to sell they're not selling and they're using all sorts of quite unpleasant and underhand tactics in order to do so. Frankie de Jong, who, uh, a, a club in the northwest of England uh, who are even more laughable than this Barcelona lot, have been trying to get all summer. Um, he's only played for him for a couple of years. They got him a year ago to sign a new contract whereby he sort of back-ended a load of the money, the value, because they, to, to recognise that Barcelona were in a short-term, what they saw as a short-term problem. So he was supposed to accept uh, a bit of a drop in his salary, but he gets um, all of that money that he would have lost as part of the original contract at the end of that contract or at the end of that next calendar year, whatever the case may be, or in stages probably. But Barcelona don't want to give that to him. So he's like, well, you're going to give it to me because it's part of my contract. So he's challenging him in that respect. And they're undermining him and trying to make out that a contract was signed in dodgy circumstances, questioning his agent, all this sort of stuff. So really quite uh, unpleasant and, and, you know, briefing against him in the Catalan press. But at the same time, denying him a move. Now, Manchester United have been trying to get him all summer. And hilariously, he has absolutely no interest in joining them despite the fact he's their number one uh, summer transfer target he doesn't seem inter- for some reason he doesn't seem interested in playing for a, a club that started the season by losing home to Brighton and are in the Europa League um, and have been an absolute shambles now for 10 years but he is I think 
may be prepared to join Chelsea because Chelsea are now, as they, they're very good at this, they'll come and sort of scavenge in when it looks like a player's going elsewhere, um, which they did with um, uh, Mark Cucurella a few weeks back, who was supposed to be going from Brighton to Man City, and then all of a sudden, boom, he's at Chelsea. Um, but again, Frankie de Jong, A, I don't think he's particularly... I think his family are very settled in Barcelona and doesn't particularly want to leave. And also, it's, I think it's about 15, 20 million quid that he's personally owed as sort of unpaid wages. And it's like absolutely not going nowhere. So they, so they, so Barcelona on one hand are kind of trying to improve their brand, create excitement, but on others treat their existing, um, you know, members of staff like absolute shit. They're doing the same. They've got, they've made it known, I think, that they're prepared to let Memphis Depay or Aubameyang go, but not specific about which one or either of those and kind of making it difficult for them to leave. And and poor old, they've got a Danish fellow called Martin Brathway, who I think people have always been a little bit baffled as to how he ever ended up there in the first place. He's had a distinctly average career. And for a little while after Messi left, they kind of had no choice but to play him up front. And they look like you've, you've you know, it's like the equivalent of, you know, selling Alan Shearer and replacing him with... Uh, uh, Gordon Jury. That's a reference that very few of you will get, um, but those that do, that that one's for you. Um, if you remember your sort of average, cumbersome Scottish uh, centre forwards from the late eighties and early nineties, um, um, and he's now, I think he, one of their pre, last pre-season games at home at the Dunkin' Donuts Camp Nou was uh, booed onto the pitch because the Barcelona fans are now taking against the players who are kind of still there and on these contracts because Barcelona as a club are briefing against these people, the ones that they want out. So it's really quite unpleasant and insidious, but it's also not fair because they're using this illegitimate money to buy players, take players from other clubs and buy players that other clubs were sort of, you know, targeting. And it just seems, it's it seems... A, if not actually illegal or immoral, it it feels kind of distasteful and kind of against the the, the sort of principles of how you do business in football. Um, and I just think what, it's a bit of a shame. Is it, what is it? Is that right, though, that <clears throat> some of their top players, some of their top sign-ins... They're not sure. Yes, are allowed to play. That's absolutely what right. Is- so that that's the kind of fun, so the final piece in this rather lurid jigsaw is that they are going in. I think they've got Rayo Vallecano first game of the season, which I think is at home, might be away, but it, it doesn't really matter. You are not allowed to register a player as part of La Liga rules until you are you have proved your financial sustainability, and I think a key part of that is showing that you're generating more than your um, your spending. And as if you can't demonstrate that, then you can't um, add uh, additional players as officially registered. So you're allowed to sign them, but to register them to play in the Liga is different. At the moment, I don't think any of their new signings are actually registered. Right. So their first game is this weekend. And I was listening to a, a, an athletic, it writes for the athletic, he's like a La Liga expert for the athletic, saying it, it, he asked somebody on behalf of kind of, you know, La Liga officials, and it could literally go to as late as an hour before kickoff on Saturday as to whether they can get the clearance to register some of these players. But you could have the embarrassing situation of all these kind of landmark, uh, high-profile signings. You know, Frank, it's like 126 million, or something worth ludicrous of like that. Yeah, and 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 you know, so they've got Rafinha from Leeds. They've got Robert Lewandowski, one of the greatest strikers of his generation. They've got Frank Kessie, who's just uh, walked away from AC Milan, who won. You know, he's a he's a Serie A title winner there. Um, you know, Andreas Christensen from um, uh, Chelsea. They've got some quite good players, but it's yeah, it is, 
It's mental. It's absolutely mental. Real Madrid must be just sitting back, just, you know, cackling. <laughs> just like I definitely wasn't when uh, Brighton turned up at Old Trafford last week. I definitely wasn't cackling. It's not, nothing funny. There's nothing funny about seeing these big companies struggle, mate. It's not... I think it would be disin- It would be wrong of me to revel in that. I'm better than that, Matt. I'm better <laughs> you are, than that. You are. Did you watch uh, any of the first weekend of Premier League action, Matthew? Yeah, so I've got um, Sky Sports for a month. I had a bit of a deal on with Now TV. So, um, yeah, I did, and I did watch that match. And I wasn't going to mention it because I knew you'd go off on one about about that. There's no point, is there? There's nothing I can say about them that mocks them any more than just their performances mock themselves. So there's no no point. It's it's just just 10 years of utter joy, isn't it? They just get worse and worse and worse. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> they might end up having a decent season, to be fair. I mean, they have got a good manager, and, you know, if they sort things out... I mean, it is, you know, to be consistent about this, it is only the first game. You know, we didn't... Liverpool didn't win their game. They they drew with Fulham. So, you know, it's not... You can't judge it on that. But it's just... It's difficult not to smile when, you know, I was walking to a train station on Sunday listening to Five Lives build-up, match build-up, and honestly, you'd think that you were um, about to... You were, they were about to broadcast the, the commentary from the first game of the season for a club that had won the title 10 years in a row from the triumphalism that was uh, being blurted out by, you know, ignoramuses like Dion Dublin, who admittedly is very good on homes under the hammer, but shouldn't be anywhere near a football <laughs> punditry, Mike. He is a man who talks in just constant cliched banalities and he had, listen out for this if, if you've no, noticed it before and if you find yourself in the unfortunate situation of of, of being subjected to his uh, to his punditry he does this thing where whoever's asked him the question or if another pundit is involved he'll begin a sentence by make, making what he thinks is a good point then that the questioner slash presenter or the other pundit will then start making something that is actually uh, a contrary opinion, and Dion Dublin will then enthusiastically <laughs> agree with it. Um, yeah, because I, I, you know, yeah, and he just, I, oh. and it was all, it was all this, the usual generalities of this is the time to build something again, and you know, it was all banging on about Alex Ferguson for ages, and they just don't realise that that sort of chat is so damaging when you're a crumbling empire. I know this because I've seen it with my own club and they're just making exactly the same mistakes. It is like watching uh, Liverpool in the early 1990s all over again, except for it seems to be going on for quite a lot longer because uh, they're, uh, you know, by the, by the midnight, we were actually all right. Um, <laughs> but it was a good, I thought it was a really good opening weekend other, other, other than that. It was, you know, Man City looks ominously good. Erling Haaland's probably going to get about 400 goals this season, you know, and... Uh, it's like, he, like he's been sent by social media to troll Roy Keane as like the dad that that he Roy Keane tried to like destroy. He actually he actually ended Alfinger Harlan's career. No, I read about that though, and I don't think it was obviously a, a really serious injury he received. But I think the reason he couldn't, you know, it came out in his book that what you know that it was deliberate that Roy Keane deliberately took him out. Um, and I think they were looking to 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 sort of get some money out of him to sue him or something, but then it transpired that actually he had quite severe injury in his other knee, mm. and so I think he was sort of yeah, it wasn't struggling helped. with injury. It wasn't helped. No, but, I'm sure, 
Doctor Keen yeah. didn't help in that. But situation. now Roy Keane has got the prospect. Assuming he sticks to punditry, he's got the prospect of about eight years of having to sit in a TV studio <laughs> talking about how brilliant Harland is. Because on that on that day when he put in that infamous challenge against uh, Alfing Harland, he uh, while Harland was on the ground writhing in agony, he went over and like pointed, yeah. shouted something yeah. in his face. Because that all, as you probably know, dated back to Roy Keane did his. Um, Four years earlier. Yeah, yeah, four or five years earlier, playing for um, playing for Man United at Old uh, um, Ellen Road. He went down in a heap uh, in the penalty box, and I think he'd done his uh, knee ligaments, cruciate knee ligaments. So it was a severe injury, and Harland was didn't know, obviously know this, so was accusing him of diving and was like shouting in his face. And now, if Keane were a reasonable human being, he would say, "Well, he didn't know I was injured, and you know, and this is just football. I've dished it out enough." But I don't think we're dealing with necessarily the most reasonable person so that he didn't see it like that. And then a few years later, boom, stud on me. There you go. Take that. Take that. Stay down, you cunt, I think. Yeah. Like. Natural justice knocked out by Roy, Roy Keane. Yeah. yeah, we need Great a bit more Roy of that. Keane. I do like Roy Keane, to be fair. He's another one of these lads who I can't believe I'm saying those words because as a player, I, you know, he was the enemy for me for you. But like Gary Neville, isn't it? When yeah, Gary, yeah, yeah. Gary Neville supersedes football now because he's, yeah. he's he's like the leader of the opposition. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Right, anything to add, Matt, before we clear off? No. Okay, well, on that bombshell of, of just zero content, <laughs> uh, it's time to say goodbye for this week. We'll hopefully now be uh, back to some regularity of knocking out this top-level stuff um, <laughs> to comment on the football that's going on. Uh, and... Uh, but, you know, whatever we do, just listen to it anyway, because, you know, if no one listens, well, just do, do, do what you like. Do what you fucking like. But, but do listen. Bye. <laughs>